Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and once again, I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Bryce Hopper, $330 million, 13 years. Manny Machado, $300 million, 10 years. Yet, many free agents remain unsigned, and there's whispers of a possible labor dispute. Where did this all get started? Let's take a look at some forgotten heroes. Plus, the most glamorous gym class ever, the NFL Combine. And perhaps one of the worst TV shows ever, LeBron James, The Shop. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right. You know, with all the talk, you know, certainly the big one, uh, Bryce Harper, 13 years, $330 million, and, you know, before him, Manny Machado, the $300 million, 10 years. You know, what? all this talk about all this money, and, and then there, there's people pissed off because you got free agents unsigned, and you got people like um, Justin Verlander saying the free agency in baseball is broke, which I think is a pretty stupid remark. Uh, but having said that, I think it's it's important to go back and do some history. I think it's very important because I, I, you know, when I talk to people, uh, a lot of people who are younger, and I'm not talking about just millennials, I'm just talking people who are young. A lot of people don't realize where and when this all got started. You know, I mean, there's, of course, Arguably the most famous name when it comes to helping baseball labor was the head of the union, Mr. Marvin Miller, who, whether you liked him or not, he should be in the uh, Hall of Fame. And, of course, there's Kurt Flood. And I'm, I'm going to speak about these two gentlemen. But it got started, and, and and if he was around today, if he was around today, Marvin Miller would tell you that. It got started with a couple of Los Angeles Dodger pitchers by the name of Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. That's right. Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale, two, of course, Hall of Famers. In in, um, 1966, the spring of 1966, Koufax and Drysdale 
decided to hold out. They didn't have an agent. Actually, they were do, they were doing some te- television work. A lot of those guys um, would get bit parts in uh, some stuff and some shows, and uh, they got a TV agent. Anyway, long story short, they wanted to hold out together. They did hold out. They were looking for a million dollars together for three years, and they were going to split it up. So it was going to come to about $167,000 a year for each one for three years. So they held out. Now, you got to remember, they're coming off 1965, all right? In 1965, just to give you a little bit of historical perspective here, 1965, Sandy Koufax was 26 and 8, his one loss record. His ERA was 2.04. He completed 27 games. He threw eight shutouts, 335 innings pitched, and he struck out 382 batters, and he also won. Uh, his second um, Cy Young Award. All right? Drysdale went 23-12. and 12. Not too shabby. 2.77 earned run average. 20 complete games. Seven shutouts. 308 innings pitched. Oh, yeah, and by the way, at the plate, Drysdale batted 300 and smacked seven home runs. All right? Colfax, for his performance in 1985, was paid 85000 and Drysdale uh, was paid 80000 All right? The Dodgers offered Colfax. They offered to bump him in 1966. Um, they offered to bump him to a hundred grand. And uh, for Drysdale, they offered him a $5,000 bump to eighty five. So Colfax was offered a $15,000 raise and Drysdale a $5,000 raise. Now, at the time, uh, Colfax and Drysdale were aware that Willie Mays, who to this day remains the greatest ball player I have ever seen, period. He did it all. Uh, he he was a five-tool player, but on top of being a five-tool player, he had pizzazz that you just can't teach. <laughs> that, that, that Either you got it or you don't. Talk about charisma. He personified what charisma and pizzazz was. So anyway, uh, Willie had signed a two-year deal that was paying him about 125000 a year. Now, Koufax uh, had just won the Cy Young. And he was second in um, the MVP to Mays. Drysdale was fifth in the MVP voting, okay? So, again, Drysdale and Koufax, Koufax and Drysdale, they asked for a million dollars for three years. And they basically held out for most of spring, I mean, it was right. It was right at the end. Okay, it was right at the end. But they decided, in the end, they didn't get what they were going to get, or what they wanted to get. 
Koufax ended up getting 125000 and Drysdale got 110000 Why am I talking about these two guys? Because these two guys basically, and Marvin Miller, let him rest in peace, would go on to say this. They basically, they were the first union. They were basically the first union, albeit a two-man union, but they were basically the first union. Okay? Now, the reason it's significant is because two years later, two years later, well, I shouldn't say two years later, but in, in it's just, call it a coincidence or what have you, but in 1966, Marvin Miller was going around visiting the teams. Marvin Miller was becoming the head of the Players Union in 1966. This, really, I, I don't know the exact date, but this was technically, uh, you know, after spring training what had happened. Two years after that, with the first collective bargaining agreement, all right, the players or I should say the owners, the owners wanted protection against the players from teaming up and pulling such a holdout as Colfax and Drysdale did. Okay, they, they wanted that kind of protection. So Marvin Miller and the union said, okay, we'll agree that players can't act in concert with one another as long as... You, the owners, would agree to do the same thing. Now, Marvin Miller was a smart guy. And when the owners agreed to that, that agreement would come back to bite them on their collective asses. Because subsequently, that agreement would be used against the owners roughly like something like 20 years later, two decades later, for colluding to keep free agent salaries down. And what happened? What happened? In 1990, owners had to settle with the players, agreeing to pay them $280 million. Now, now folks, this is important because I'm hearing all this stuff like, oh, is this guy worth this money? There's two ends of the spectrum. And it kind of it kind of is funny to me. Funny in one way and sad in the other, because people don't realize you got one. Some people, on the other hand, saying you got to be a putz. You got to be nuts to pay somebody you know, $330 million or $300 million, whatever the hell it is. And then um, you have people saying, well, players, and I, listen, I'm a a capitalist. Make as much as you can. I'm just one of those guys who also says, use some common sense. But you still have people who don't think players have the right, and then you have the people who say, well, I would do this for nothing. Well, that you know, that's bullshit. Nobody does anything for, for, for nothing. You know, I used to hear the stories years ago when I was doing the radio and had a midday show at WFAN. 
You get people calling up all the time. Oh, I'd play baseball. I remember a guy calling me up and say, I'd play baseball for nothing. I said, so I said to the guy, well, what do you do now? He said, well, what's that got to do with anything? I said, well, what, no, what do you do now? And he was some kind of salesman. I says, I'll tell you what, go into your boss tomorrow and tell him you're going to work for the next three weeks for nothing. Well, that's stupid, he says to me. Yeah, it is stupid. You wouldn't work for nothing. Because your dream is to be a baseball player doesn't mean you would do it for nothing. You got to put food on the table, so don't give me you would do it for nothing. And then people would call up and say, oh, the guys, you know, you know the guys in the old days, you, you know, the Mantles, the, the, the DiMaggio's. Oh, slow down. Let I, let me remind everybody, DiMaggio, the great Joe D, okay, held out. He was offered 25000 in 1938. The owner of the Yankees, Jacob Rupert, offered 25000 DiMaggio wanted 40000 okay? He wanted 40000 so he, he held out. And Rupert, the colonel, said 40000 I mean, that's more than we're paying Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was not yet ill yet with, a, you know, ALS. That's more than we're paying Lou Gehrig. And DiMaggio's answer to Rupert was, well, Mr. Gehrig is, you know, highly underpaid. You know, subsequently, Gehrig would sign for 39000 you know, and Gehrig was the legendary Gehrig. So he, Dimash wasn't going to get his forty, and he subsequently settled for the 40000 But my point was, and fans booed Joe D back then for holding out. And I remember conversations that I had with Mickey Mantle. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was interviewing him at a March of Dimes luncheon. And I said to Mick, I said, uh, Mickey, what would you do? What do you think you would be worth if you were playing today? And he looked at me, put his arm on my shoulder and said, I don't know, but I just would saddle up to Mr. Stein, Steinbrenner and say, howdy, partner. So don't tell me, and, and one of my dear, dear friends, let him rest in peace, who I became very close with, and you know I'm proud to call him a friend, Yogi, would tell me that, I mean, they all would have held out. They all would have tested free agency had they been allowed to. Okay? So they weren't allowed to. That's why. And And I think it's kind of important for people... You know, we're, we're in these arguments today and, you, you know, these guys are making this amount of money and then you have other free agents while these guys are making these jumbo numbers. You have other free agents remaining unsigned. Oh, and is there collusion? Is this? Is that? You can We can argue to a blue in the face. And I think the next collective bargaining agreement comes up in 2021. And a lot of people are saying, if it stays like this, it's going to be pointing to another labor dispute. 
So I mentioned Colfax, and of course I mentioned, you know, Marvin Miller, and, and rightfully so. But let's not forget Kurt Flood, because without Kurt Flood, I mean, what he did was incredible. Kurt Flood, while I say Willie Mays, again, was the greatest ball player, greatest center fielder I've, I've ever seen, but not just center fielder, he was the greatest ball player. Kurt Flood might have been the smoothest, the silky smoothest center fielder I've ever seen. Willie was grace and flair and excitement and, as I say, pizzazz. Flood was just terrific. I mean, I mean, he was just a brilliant, brilliant center fielder. I, he won seven consecutive gold gloves. Um, I mean, he, he was a tremendous, tremendous ball player. Not good, great. Great ball player. Uh, he was traded. 1969, he was traded by the Cardinals. Actually, he was traded along with, uh, there were a couple other guys in it. He was traded along with Tim McCarver, certainly a well-known name. He was traded to the Phillies. And Kurt Flood chose not to play. Now, I'm not going to go in with every long detail, uh, but he chose not to play and... You know, uh, he challenged the reserve clause where a player was bound to a team until the team no longer wanted that said player. That's the way it was. And, I mean, he had, at the time, Justice Goldberg represent him in the case. He lost in the Supreme Court. Uh, but, I, you know, he also forfeited, by doing so, he forfeited... A hundred thousand dollar salary in 1970. He sat out the 1970 season rather than playing going to the Phillies. That would open up the floodgates. So to speak. Yeah, actually, I should said that. I said open up the floodgates. Yeah, that's that. That is. Yeah, no, so to speak. You're very good, Crash. Very good. But but really, he gave up a hundred thousand dollars. Well, you know, he met with Marvin Miller and, you know, they had the lawsuit and and Marvin told him he was going to lose, but he was going to help people in the future. And believe me, Flood stood there alone. I mean, you know, whether it was guts, big balls, whatever you want to call it, Flood stood there alone. You know, Bob Gibson, Hall of Famer Bob Gibson said Flood probably get like three, four or five death threats a day. All right. Anyway, so he sits out that season. All right. Sits out that season. And uh, he subsequently gets traded to the Washington Senators. And he had signed with the Senators for $110,000 to play in 1971. 
who would be his manager with the Washington Senators, guy by the name of Ted Williams. I don't think I need to tell anybody who Ted Williams was. But he called it quits after 13 games. You know, sitting out, for lack of a better term, just ripped his soul out. And he was done. But he was batting like 200 after 13 games. But he just wasn't himself. And Williams gave him a vote of confidence. But he said, screw it, you know, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, I I mean, the guy was blackballed. He was screwed every which way. Again, you know, and then if you remember Marvin Miller, all you Yankee fans know a catfish hunter. Catfish hunter... Marvin Miller Miller pointed out the owner at the Oakland A's at the time that I think this was 1974 uh, that Catfish was with the A's. Marvin Miller neglected to pay on a certain annuity or something to to Catfish, opened up the floodgates. Catfish subsequently signed, I think, for three and a half million dollars of five years with the Yankees. Then in 1974, you remember guys like Andy Messersmith, who was a Dodger pitcher, Dave McNally with the the um, Orioles. They didn't, on Miller's advice, they did not sign their contracts. They played without signing, and subsequently after that, that really opened up the floodgates to free agency, and that's where they are today. And Miller, how, how about this? Marvin Miller, to his credit, when they, you know, the, the, I'm not going to go through every strike that ever was. But Marvin Miller was the one who said six years. After six years, a player gets entitled to free agency because he thought it would be too saturated, too crazy if everybody was free agency right right away. My point being, when we talk about all this money today, folks, I don't care what side you're on. If you're on an owner's side, if you're on a player's side, and I don't mean to be a fence-sitter, and anybody who knows me knows I'm not a fence-sitter when it comes to issues. But common sense has to prevail. Common sense has to prevail. Like... I think a player has got to say, sometimes you've got to put your ego in your back pocket and say, how much is enough and how much is too much? Do I have to be the highest paid? Do I have to have this? And where am I going to be happy, most happy? I remember back in the day when Vince Coleman was leaving the St. Louis cars to come to the Mets. And I don't recall, so forgive me, but it was something like at the time I think the Cardinals might have been offering him something like $10 million for three years. This is the team he played for. I believe he was an MVP, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, great player. You know, stolen base king. Great player. Uh, he was a hometown guy from St. Louis. They were offering $10 million for three years, something like that, I believe. And the Mets, I think, offered $12 million for three years. And I'm saying to myself at the time, 
why would you come to the Mets? And you're going to leave home. You're going to leave the team that you're winning with. And Uncle Sam's going to get the money anyway. He left. And boy, was that a disaster for the Mets and for uh, Vince Coleman. You know, um, and when we get into the discussions of collusion, I always laugh about this. Owners aren't allowed to collude. But agents are always talking to one another all the time. Uh, No, don't. Listen, guys got pissed off. People were not happy about Luis Severino signing for his 40,000, excuse me, 40 million for four years. Oh, he could have gotten more. Why didn't he go to arbitration, go one at a time? Because you know what? Luis Severino said, I want to be relaxed and happy and play with the team I want to play with. And maybe he was given up. Not maybe, he was given up. He could have made more money if he went to arbitration and you know, had done this year to year. But he didn't want to do that. So it was good for him. That doesn't make him a selfish kid. That makes him he wanted to be comfortable in his own skin and in his own uniform. Aaron Hicks got seventy million for for seven years, another also ten million a year. People are calling it an absolute steal for the Yankees. Regardless, they can trade him, whatever it's worth. I, I mean, in today's dollars. But for Aaron Hicks, hey, it's seventy million dollars. So to me, it's no one's right, no one's wrong. You got to do with with what makes you happy. And on the flip side of that, if the team feels, if the Phillies feel it's worth for $330 million for 13 years, God bless the Phillies. Really? That's up to them. Manny Machado's worth $300 million? That's up to them. You know, I, I, you know, it was reported the Dodgers were offering something like forty million a year for five years for for Harper. I, I understood that more than than the the ten or the thirteen years because all right, I think this guy's going to be really good for the next five, but I don't know what's going to happen when he hits the other side of thirty or thirty one, thirty two. But I think players. You, you know, when I hear players complaining that the system's broke because guys remain unsigned, like Kimbrel or whatever, uh, I'm just talking as of today. Who knows what's going to be tomorrow? Guys, you get signed. Keichel. My point being, I understand a player being frustrated because he's not getting to a team right away. But you got to use some common sense and understand we're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you got to look at the picture and say, for crying out loud, I mean, I got to understand a guy, I want my money, but I got to look at the other side. What am I going to be? How good am I going to be X amount of years from now? 
that's what becomes, that's what, what gnaws at me. Common sense doesn't get used here. Again, I'm all for anybody making, is it, I don't, if somebody wants to give some guy a billion dollars, God bless him. And to the owner, God bless him. You think somebody's worth that kind of money? That's what the market, your market's paying him? God bless him. But just because it's, 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 you heard of the, the phrase fiscal responsibility. Just because one owner wants to be a nut job and pay, if you want to call him a nut job and pay an exorbitant amount, that doesn't mean all the other owners have to follow because all automatically that says he set the market. No, I see, I don't buy into that. I personally would not have given him $330 million. I wouldn't have given uh, Giancarlo Stanton the $325 million he got from the Marlins at the time. But because somebody was given that amount of money, that sets the market? See, I don't buy that. Why should one owner in his mind have to make the same mistake that he thinks somebody else is going to make? Everybody's got to use common sense here. And the reason I brought up Colfax and Drysdale and Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller, because I just don't think a lot of the players, and I'm a player's guy. Like I say, I'm, I want them to be able to make as much as they can. But I think th- th- they got to look back and where it came from. Do you know when Marvin Miller, when Marvin Miller uh, got started, was 1966 the average the average um the average salary of a major league player was $19,000 when miller left i think it was 82 the average player salary had jumped to $326,000 today it's over the average is over 4 million dollars whatever the hell it is i mean People just need a little reminder. And, and you know, all last week I'm reading about all these signings or not signings, and I think everybody needs to realize the guys who signed and the guys who are looking for teams, where it came from and what was sacrificed to put you guys in the position to make these millions of dollars. Sandy Koufax is viewed as arguably... Well, not, he's certainly not, he certainly is one of the greatest of all time. He's arguably the best left-hander of all time. And, and Drysdale, we're talking about two Hall of Famers. How about Joe DiMaggio holding out? I mean, and people forget where people come from. I, I, that's just what bothers me. So to, to everybody, you know, who are all excited, we're getting, in, we're in spring training now and Baseball season opener was three weeks away. Think about that. It's great. Let's just let's just remember. Remember the guys. Remember the Kurt Floods. Remember the Marvin Millers. And also remember, you know, guys like Koufax and Trezor, because really, as it says, they were really the first union, a two man union, albeit, but they were the first form the first union. Now let's move on to some baseball. Excuse me, go from baseball to football. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. 
I had never done it in the past, but I happened to tune in for a little bit to watch the NFL Combine. How the hell anybody could spend more than five minutes watching that is beyond me, and I love football. I don't like football. I love football. Just terrific. But all that is, to me, is a glorified gym class. I'm watching all these athletes running by themselves. I'm watching athletes, quarterbacks, throw the ball without somebody in their face. I'm watching guys run 40-yard dashes. I'm, I'm watching announcers say, oh, my God, that guy is chiseled steel, tempered steel. Look on Adonis. Look at the, the muscles on top of muscles. You know what, folks? I've been going into locker rooms, football locker rooms, for more than 30 years here in, in New York alone. And you know something? I've seen a lot of guys looking like chiseled, tempered steel on practice squads. And the reason they're on practice squads because they're not good enough to make it on the, the big squad. I, I, to me, the NFL combines are, certain, uh, are, are way overrated. Yeah, you can check out certain numbers and, and see a guy's speed. I want to know what a quarterback can do when somebody's in his face. Okay? That's not just speed that does it. Might be some nifty footwork, escapability. Standing up, taking a lick. I don't want to see a guy grabbing a pass, just cutting across the middle with nobody on him. I want to see how a guy can grab a ball in traffic. Like to me, and I've heard this from from, from different general managers. When prospects have pro days, GMs learn more from the pro days. Because you're seeing a guy... You know, he's he's working with people that he knows. That's a, that's another thing. You go into you go into a, a combine, you don't know how a guy turns or you, you you don't know what your receiver's nuances. It's I I just found it highly overrated. I mean, I, I I'm sorry. I called it a glorified gym class and I still call it a glorified gym class. So that takes care of that. And last but not least, so I'm home yesterday, and I happened to turn on The Shop on HBO. That's LeBron James' new show. I think this was the fourth episode. But this show is terrible. <laughs> it just is. First of all, the, the the again if you're not familiar with it the premise of the shop is like a barbershop and in particular a black barbershop i don't know if you remember the ice ice cubes uh, movie barbershop 1 and barbershop 2 were hysterical movies but you know and and that's kind of the basis you know and it's in particular a black barbershop where Bunch of guys sit around and argue and getting their hair cut. I get that. I, th- I Actually, when I heard the premise of it, I thought it was going to be a good idea. But the shop is not representative of a black barber shop. It's a bunch of multi, basically multi-millionaire black guys who they get sitting around. Very rich guys. And they're not debating anything. 
They're all agreeing, talking about it. And, and it's nothing. It, it, I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. And, and they had, for example, they had on yesterday, they had um, the one that, that I saw, comedian Jamie Foxx, who I think is great. But Jamie Foxx, it seemed every other word out of his mouth was the N-word, and every other word out of his mouth was motherfucker. What's the point? He's trying to be cool. Is that the point? And and then you're going to get pissed off if people are, are, are saying, well, you're playing to every stereotype. And then LeBron James is talking about, they're talking about, oh, and it was a good point to, to be brought up. They're talking about, like, what do you owe, you know, like, like you know, the hangers on, you know, family members. And I thought that was, you know, this was one time I said, that was a good point. And Anthony Davis, you know, from the Pelicans was on. And Anthony, it was wonderful to hear. And, and LeBron brought it up. He was talking about Anthony's parents. And Anthony said, you know, my parents told me I don't know them nothing. Whatever I do, I accomplish. That was great to hear. But then then they were talking to other people. This rapper, 2 Chains, his name is 2 Chains, and before that, he was Titty Boy. I mean, forgive me, I'm not up on the rap thing, but if Titty Boy to 2 Chains. He was talking about it. You know, this one, you got to pay this one X amount. Uh What's his name? Meek Mill was on. To his credit, he said, "I don't have. To, I don't know anybody anything." LeBron starts talking about it. He says, "Oh yeah, it's this, it's that." My my mom, it you know, like like she just moved into a new house. Now this wasn't just a new house. She was. She had to have. She had to build the house from the floor up. And you could tell LeBron's talking, you know, and it, it, this goes on and on. Now, if I if I characterized that or said that and spoke about that, about his mom, you know, just how much is enough is enough. Oh, boy, what would happen to me? What would I be accused of? Yeah, you know, so LeBron says, yeah, this and that, but, you know... <laughs> That's life. Oh, it doesn't have to be that's life. If you want to set a good example and explain to people, it doesn't have to be that way just because you got a lot of money. Like, when is enough is enough? But that show, to me, sucks. I mean, it's just a stupid show. It it could be so good, and it's so not. You know, you, you don't need to sit around and agree with each other and pat each other on the back. Have a debate about something. Have some different viewpoints or have people on. Doesn't have to be just a bunch of black guys sitting around. You could throw in a couple of white athletes or entertainers. And not someone who's just going to agree with you because they've had in the past, they've had Jimmy Kimmel and they had um, um, John Stewart. They were all just agreeing. 
There was no debate, nothing. So if you're going to want want something to uh, kind of reflect what life is in a black barbershop, then do it the right way. Okay? But the way LeBron's doing it, that ain't the right way. But right now, that is a wrap on today. So I want to thank you all for getting a load of this. And now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts. As always, you can contact me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. You can also visit my website at russsalzberg.com. My thanks always to the big man across the way. Takes good care of me. Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano. To uh, Chris Rudsky, head of the OG Podcast Network. To my very fine OG podcast, very fine OG Podcast Network producer Tim Einickel, Craig Schwab, seventy-seven WABC program director, his outstanding assistant Matt Dahl, and last but certainly not least, you guys and gals out there. Because without you guys and gals, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye bye, so long, and farewell. Have a great week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.